your ability to be honest with yourself about yourself is really, I think, the key to achieving whatever goal you're setting out to achieve. Welcome. You are listening to the Jordan Baylor Draft, a podcast that inspires writers to push through their limiting beliefs and blow the lid off of their personal creativity. My name is Jordan Baylor, a filmmaker best known for my animated web series, Love the Moochers. Listen as I sit down with writers to talk methods, habits, lessons learned, and how to make a beneficial impact with your work. Today is a new draft. Rewrite yours and improve. Hi, welcome to another edition of the Jordan Baylor Draft. This is episode number 38, and today's guest is a massive one. I got a writer on the show whose work has been monumental in my foundation in life, and honestly, it has been entertaining me my entire life. Now, during our interview, this man walked me through his entire body of work up until the moment he landed his new HBO Max developmental deal with the streaming network. I'm talking about Mr. Rodney Barnes. Now, what separates Rodney from the pack is his tenacious work ethic and his ability to be agile and adapt to any writing situation. Now, what I learned from this interview is that ultimately, if you want something and you say you want it, like you really, really want it, you have to show up even on the days when you're tired beaten, and you don't want to bleed on the page. Because that's the days when the best work shows up. I hope whatever it is that you are striving for and are chasing after, you want it as bad as it wants you. Because just know that in life, life is a game of attraction. You're either attracting or repelling something to you. It's like on or off switch. When you sit down and you put in the time, the effort, the work, and the hours necessary to level up on your work, you're attracting it. It's getting closer. It's knocking on the door. But when you're sitting around pondering, comparing yourself to people in the trades or reading books, wondering, I wish I could do that, wondering if it's in the cards for you, you're repelling it from you because it's already yours. Rodney's words knocked me upside my head and it really let me know that if you want something, don't sit up and pontificate about it. Accept it's already yours, then go out and real life it. I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I enjoyed conducting it. Without further ado, here's my interview with Mr. Rodney Barnes. Hi, welcome to another edition of the Jordan Baylor Draft, a series where we deep dive into the minds of writers, coaches, and others who have a way with words. I have on the line a true multi-hyphenate in the game. His resume extends far and wide. He's a writer of such esteemed shows as The Boondocks, American Gods, My Wife and Kids, Everybody Hates Chris, Wu-Tang, An American Saga, go watch that on Hulu right now, and many, many more. He is a WGA-nominated writer and lead writer of the image-published comic series, Philadelphia. I am pleased to present Mr. Rodney Barnes. How are you doing today, sir? Hanging in there. How are you? I'm doing great. So I, I like to start every interview and ask, who is Rodney Barnes? Oh, wow. Rodney Barnes is a lot of different things. Uh, tries to be a decent human being. Um, tries to take care of his family. Um, I, the last on the list would be a writer. A writer oh. is just the verb of what I do. It's um, not who I am. So you define um, your, your, your personal success over your career achievements. Well, life is real. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, if I was doing anything other than being a writer, I probably um, wouldn't define myself as that. Uh, Well, I never have up until this point. And, um, you know, uh, real life is more important than uh, the thing that I do. So I I like that mindset. You say you never defined yourself as a writer. Um, Did that help your confidence earlier in your career? Like the fact that you were kind of just like... No, I mean, 
I've always uh, wrestled and struggled with anxiety and imposter syndrome and all the stuff any other writers uh, wrestle with. I think the biggest thing for me is just that, uh, you know, when I first started doing this, it, it was kind of reverse engineered my way into Hollywood. And it became so much a part of my life that it really did affect all personal aspects of uh, my life. So um, I got to a certain point where I just said that I had to figure out some semblance of balance for that. I still haven't, still not an exact science, but I try to balance the work that I do with the life that I live. And, you know, to lesser or greater degrees, it works, but at least I'm cognizant that there's more to um, life than just the work. I, I like that. Um, allowing yourself to take breaks and understanding that, you know, if you fail in your career, it's not necessarily a failure or, a, you know, disbursement of you as a person. Um, how old were you when you started writing? Uh, I've been writing all my life, I think. Um, how old was I when I started getting paid for it? <laughs> no, nah, it's just like when, like just writing for fun. Just uh, all my life, I've always had a relationship with words, um, be it as writing comic books, you know, as as a kid, or writing short stories, or um, reading. Um, I've always just had, you know, fostered that relationship since childhood, really. Since childhood. Okay, yeah. what's your what's your why? Like, what kind of stories excite you as a writer? Um, stories with stakes. I mean, I think one of the reasons why I kind of gravitate more to horror uh, is that you know the stakes are the highest. It's usually life and death. Life and um, death. And so, if it's got stakes and something that I can kind of sink my teeth into, um, as far as knowing that. If uh, my protagonist doesn't get out of the circumstances that they're in, they could cause their death or someone that they care about mm -hmm. to die or to be injured severely. Um, it sort of puts it in a place of um, there's a sense of urgency and detail that comes with it that I never got from comedy per se. I never, I never thought about that. I, I, I guess I've never really seen a comedy where it was life or death that is always like I could lose a girl or you know it was never. Nah. Yeah, you're, you're right. Busy laughing. Yeah, too, too busy, busy laughing. <laughs> yeah. Too busy laughing. It's never like a, a a comedy set in the world of Saw or something. <laughs> no, the two don't go horror and horror and um, and comedy mix. If there's a world that's created like Return of the Living Dead or um, Evil Dead or um, mm. those types of things, Zombie Land or Shaun of the Dead, those types of movies sort of have a world where the humor is baked into the idea of the story. But typically, humor and horror to me works if, it's, if it naturally comes from the situation that you're in or the characters are in, then you can have humor within it. But if, if the people who are in peril are laughing too much and they're not taking it seriously, I think the audience tends to not take it as seriously as well. Yeah, that's that's the actual problem. I, I agree. I agree. Um, I I gotta get into it and, and talk about your days on the the Boondocks. Like it's such a mm -hmm. formative show for me. I gotta ask, like, what was the writer room like in the Boondocks, and and how were you and the team breaking stories? You know, um, it wasn't really formal in the sense of uh, a writers' room like uh, when I at ABC or CW when I was doing Everybody Hates Chris or. Uh, Wife and kids. It was just really myself and the, uh, the strips creator, and we would sit there and um, bang around ideas and bang around stories. And every once in a while, people would come and people would go. But every year and every iteration, every season, it was completely different. As a child watching the show, it was just funny, like really, really funny. But not like it was like I knew it was different, right? But as an adult going back and watching episodes like the story of Gangsta Delicious, it feels like it was a little prophetic. Like everything that you said was, you know, in the episode has happened in real hip hop. Like there's been like rappers that have been turned out to be like actually homosexual and then uh, or they just come on skirts or dresses and they're putting like lyrics. It's just like you're taking it in a face, you know, it's, everything about it was just like, damn, all this happened. Like the, the R. Kelly episode, uh, just people just worshiping a person. You're like, how is this 
hire people worshiping him. And it's just like, you see like the president and people just go crazy. So it's just, did you know you were on to something when you were saying it or were they just jokes to you? And then just like real time, you're like, oh. um, I think uh, for whatever my contribution was, I always try to get to a place of, um, I wanted the joke to have some layers to it, um, to have some semblance of meaning to it. Um, you know, I think uh, at the time, especially in the beginning, we were at a weird place where it was kind of before social media. Mm-hmm. And you sort of had this collective consciousness of people who thought a particular way, but really didn't have an outlet like social media to express it. So if you were expressing it in a show and people were gravitating to it, typically it fell within the lines of how people saw um, certain subject matter that we covered. And I think, um, you know, the prophetic nature of it really was more of everybody seeing the same thing. And you sort of know what direction in time is going to go in. Um, it's just like, like right now, you know, Nate Robinson gets knocked out for the, and the Mike Tyson thing yeah. within seconds, you know, you've got memes, you've got a thing, you've got a reaction yeah. to this thing that, you know, a certain demo saw. And, you know, with the boondocks, it wasn't quite exactly that, but I think it was a consciousness that was there that was sort of certain people grabbed hold on. And there you go. There you go. <laughs> um, first off, thank you for that answer. Um, what were some of the biggest challenges you had uh, growing in your career and opportunities in the industry? And how did you overturn them uh, around like mindset wise? You know, was there like tough times? When the phone stopped ringing or a pitch fell through? Um, I, I think the biggest thing for me was I didn't spend enough time at the beginning of my career developing my voice. Um, I was so frightened and fearful that it was all going to go away from the moment I got my first job uh, for really the first 10 years. It was hard for me to relax and hard for me to really have the confidence to, um, to get better in the way that I needed to get better. I was always looking for the next job and I wasn't necessarily developing um, the thing that would sustain me over time because that requires I think awareness, it requires um, some knowledge of self, uh, which I guess is awareness too. And I was so busy and so locked in and so focused on just making sure I could pay my bills and that I would always be working that I never really took a step back and said, hey, what do I, what do I really want to do ultimately other than just continuously working? And I sort of had a lull around... 2010, 2011, um, everything sort of collapsed at the same time. I went through a divorce. I went through a custody battle. I went through, um, I got really, really sick. Um, everything within a two and a half, two, two and a half year period went really, really poorly. And um, it forced me to really take a step back and say, all right, what are you doing? <coughs> and when I was sick, I sort of said that if I had an opportunity to, um, make it out of the situation. I would start to write more to what I ultimately want to do and wanted to be more so than um, what I was doing up until that point, which was working. Mm-hmm. Um, hold on, let me shut this door. Just one second. Take your time. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. Figured no, it's good. like the figured it's like the camera. If um if I can see you, you can see me. If I can hear that, you might be able to hear it too. Yeah. Um so I think uh for me it was just a matter of starting to really define what I wanted to do, what really spoke to me, uh why I got here in the first place, why I came here in the first place. And really start to hone in on what matters to me as a writer and um, the type of work I want to do for the rest of my career. And I started to move more in that direction. And so far, things have kind of worked out. 
So what did you, what kind of, what kind of stuff is like your moral compass? Like, you know, what kind of keeps you grounded? Cause before um, it was the work, you know, what is it? It's now? not, I mean, it's still, I think the work has become more personal. It's more of a cathartic exercise. Whereas before it was just the verb of working when you do mm-hmm. sitcoms, Good, bad, or someplace in between, you always hope that they're the best that they can be. You're going to make a show once a week, um, you know, regardless of the circumstances. Uh, Writing drama and writing genre and writing comics has sort of um, put me in a place where the ticking clock isn't the same. Mm -hmm. And I sort of had a bridge between when I decided I was going to start to shift my career a little bit. I got to a place where it was, there were a couple of influences, um, Alan Hughes uh, from the Hughes brothers and and my partner now, Max Bornstein, who I uh, do the Showtime show with, um, really (coughs) helped to push me past a certain thinking that I had at the time. Um, You know, I used to look at, um, I used to just get through the work. (laughs) <laughs> I just heard another sound. And then uh, someone's outside doing a thing. Uh, and now, uh, you know, I'm more at a place of um, writing from things that I see myself in, that I feel myself in, and that, um, you know, it's all kind of bucket list stuff. It's all the type of stuff that I've always wanted to do. Um, sort of the path that I'm on now. Huh. I, I like how you intentionally decided to um, kind of point your point your career in a new direction. Um, I want to talk about like you said that you decided, you know, when you were going through your health issues and the issues mm-hmm. with your family, you 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 made it a conscious decision to develop your voice. What were uh, exercises that you used, or how did you figure out? How did you get to the core of what you really want to say? Um, I always. Um I always knew what I wanted to say. I mean, I always knew what I wanted to do. I just didn't have, you know, when you're in one place and you want to get to another place, the weird thing about Hollywood, I guess, when you come from, I'm from Maryland and a uh, very blue collar town. And um, when you went to get a job back then, it was mostly a thing of you went in a store, you went into a company and you filled out an application or you sent them your resume you get the job, you either get fired or you stay there for 20 years and you retire and then, you you know, you go wherever you go. Yeah. In Hollywood, there's no real rules. You could talk to 10 people and they all got in a different way. Um, the whole system of getting an agent and or getting a manager and just trying to gain a foothold is completely... Um, you know, it's arbitrary to is whoever you talk to has a completely different path of how they get there. And I think for me, coming from the background that I came from, there was always that, how am I going to, okay, I got this job. How do I get the next job? All right, how do I get the next job? And I think I was, um, you know, my, I remember my grandmother told me before I left home, you know, you, I shouldn't go. I should get a good job with benefits. And, um, not necessarily uh, go for this pie in the sky dream. <laughs> Not for you, boy. Uh, and she said that out of care and concern. Of course, of course. But it always was in the back of my mind that, you know, our ratings aren't very good right now. We could get canceled at any moment. Then what are you going to do, Rodney? Uh-huh. Um, so that sort of obscured any, um, my love of comic books, my love of genre, my love of, uh, you know, Scorsese and all things gritty drama um, and sort of put me in a place of, all right, don't mess your luck up. You got in the door, stay where you're at, do what you do. And most of the things I tried to sell were really knockoffs of things that I'd already done. Um, They really weren't me per se, but it was just more of attempts at um, commerce. You know, it was just trying to continuously create revenue streams and uh, more so than speaking from my heart. And so it wasn't so much a thing of how I did it, except I started just listening to a different part of me. And I started to, instead of saying one day I'm going to do a thing, I just started doing that thing. 
And the way the universe sort of works is um, for me, I'm sure for everybody, once I started really taking it seriously, um, opportunities sort of, you know, lined my path. And I just had to take advantage of those opportunities and be up to the task when they came. I, I like that you said that you kind of started just writing more projects that you actually cared about. Cause I have a friend of mine, he was telling me that he's, uh, you know, writing horror cause it's hot or trying to develop, you know, young adult fiction books because it's hot. I'm just like, you don't care about it. Like why would, why would it connect if you don't even care about the genre, you know, if it's not truthful. I, I think oftentimes, um, I was surrounded the better part of my life with a survivalist mentality. Most of the people around me were trying to figure out how to make it or, and if they had already made it, how to make it bigger, you know, Mm. how to make more money, get more things. And if you look at our history, you know, as a culture, you understand why, because it's been so difficult by and large for us to be able to gain a foothold um, of security. And I think at the end of the day, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for some semblance of security. Oftentimes when people uh, ask me for advice or they want help or they want whatever, what they want or what they're asking me to do is circumvent the unknown. You know, how do I, I don't want to come all the way out there and don't get a job. I don't want to come out there. I lived in my car for a year. That's, you could do that, but I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Um, And Unfortunately or unfortunately, for me, that was part of it. I had to um, I had to get tougher emotionally. I had to get tougher psychologically. I had to there were a lot of skills that this career demanded that I really hadn't ever worked on in me. And it really each uh, uh, I hate to use the word failure, but each setback or each disappointment, sort of made me a little tougher, you know, it made me a little bit more, um, I stopped taking things as personally. Um, I stopped sensitivity, anger, fear, all of those words sort of are, all of those ideas are sort of useless when you talk about wanting to do something that's from your heart and doing something that's uh, hopefully finding some beauty within yourself. It's hard to find that when it's clouded by so many other negative things. So that's um, sort of what I tried to work on, what I try to develop. And still to this day, I'm trying to develop. um, It's not a perfect science. I'm not perfect every day. This has been the only thing in my life that I've been better than average at. You know, I was a below average athlete. I was a below average student. I was, um, you know, if it weren't for this field, I don't know where I'd be or what I'd be doing. But, um, and, but to... uh, for the sake of all of those other things, I never worked as hard at anything that I as I do at this. So it's possible I could have been better at all of those other things had I applied myself in the same way that I apply myself with this. Writing. So there you go. This episode is brought to you by our good friends over at Sock Season. I have a pair of their unisex essential star quality socks and man, they are comfortable. They truly are. They they, they come in like weird, funky, cool colors. And I'm not just saying this because they paid me. I'm saying it because I'm a big sock guy and I hate socks that fall apart after a few washes or they're cheap or they're, they're tight around the toe or they hurt around the ankle. I've experienced a lot of different socks and a lot of these companies are cutting corners. I've gotten socks from H&M, different department stores. And quite frankly, I feel like I've gotten beaten a lot of times because I no longer wear the socks. And after a few washes, they either rip or they shrink or I lose a pair or I lose one of the socks. That, those two are on me. But sometimes they're warped and they just lose their shape. But the cool thing about Sock Season is Sock Season has a unique 30-day wash guarantee, which covers socks bought within the first 30 days. Like if you buy them and they fall apart within the first 30 days, they will replace them. No questions asked. Which is crazy, but that's how much they believe in their socks. So go to www.sockseason.com. S-O-C-K-S-E-A-S-O-N dot com. 
Use coupon code OFFSTAGE for 25% off your first order and tell them Jordan sent you because every day is sock season. I like how you said you went through the fire. You know, a lot of people aren't willing to go through the fire, but they want the end result. They want the, the mm-hmm. they want to show up on the red carpet, but they're not willing to go through the whole production phase, production hell, go through different drafts. They don't want to finish the first draft. So, yeah, well, well, most people see the end of the first draft as they've reached a destination that they've arrived. Um, <laughs> I remember when, uh, again, Alan Hughes, um, I had just come out of sitcom world and I'd come out of the hospital and he'd given me this opportunity to write the script uh, for free, but it had a, it had an opportunity to really get made. Mm. And um, I remember, I, you know, I put my effort into it. I worked all worked like two weeks straight and came up with a first draft and it was like, yeah, there you go. He was like, oh man, this is a great start. And I was like, start, start, start. <laughs> I did. Don't you see it? It's right there. <laughs> what do you mean? Start. And uh, he's like, no, it's the first start. And some 40 or 50 drafts later, um, the script got to a place where it actually changed my career. It was the thing that created that bridge that I needed to get from where I was to where I ultimately wanted to be. And it just taught me the type of, uh, and Max uh, Borenstein, um, what I always tease him about is his level of emotional endurance. It's like, um, we have been working on our Lakers show since May of 2019. And um, it's only 10 episodes, but we have rewritten and written and rewritten and re-re-rewritten these episodes up and down and backwards so many times. But, you know, that's a byproduct of wanting to do the best thing that you can possibly do. And, um, you know, it takes patience. It takes, uh, again, mental stamina, uh, emotional stamina. And focus is huge. Being able to just become one with a document and continue to um, uh, just needle it and, and edit and edit and edit and look at it and with a critical eye and question everything. Um, it's not easy. It's easier said than done. Easier said than done. I agree. I agree. 40 or 50 drafts. Holy smokes. Um, let me ask you this. Your, your, your TV and your screenwriting experience is extensive and it's jam-packed with work, but your career as a published comic book writer is like fairly young. Like you published your first comic, I think in what, 2017, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. So, so talk to me about your transition into comic book writing. I'd like to hear about uh, that phase of your career. I, uh, I've loved comic books my entire life. Uh, first thing I ever read um, was a comic book. Um, <laughs> I've loved them. You know, they've been sort of there with me my entire life. And as I've evolved as a person, comic books have sort of evolved too, not because of me, surely, but uh, it just so <laughs> happens that that happened. It's like when I was a kid, kid, there was a lot of like uh, superhero, pow, bam, you know, just kind of cartoony action. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, like Alan Moore and Neil Gaiman and all of these guys came in, British writers, started writing like literature with Swamp Thing and Sandman and uh, Frank Miller with The Dark Knight Returns and Daredevil and uh, Jim Starlin with Warlock. It felt more like literature. It didn't feel like those comic books from before. It felt like graphic novels. Uh, yeah. It was something to be taken seriously. And that sort of caught me at the right time. It sort of took me to, um, it got me to a place where uh, I was continuously, I think the exercise of reading is really important when you're a writer because the muscle that you use, um, whether it's novels, whether it's graphic novels, whatever it is, that muscle of imagination continuously evolving. TV does a lot of the work for you. Um, TV and film, they do a lot of work. Um, Reading makes you work your own muscle um, from within. So, um, so I always loved them. I knew nothing about how to write them. I had no process whatsoever, absolutely nothing. But when I got the job at Marvel uh, for Runaways, I made it clear to the um, the publishing arm of the company because the movie and TV divisions were different than publishing um, that I really wanted to uh, write a comic book. And lo and behold, an opportunity 
hit me. Uh, and again, I met it with abject fear and terror because I the the guy that was writing this book was in the eighties. You know, it was, uh, it was that was really my last. That period that I'm talking about was my last real relationship with comic books on a regular basis. I still bought them every Wednesday as a habit, you know, yeah. like a drug habit. But <laughs> I've got at least 10 boxes of comic books that I haven't read just because I buy them. And I might read three or four, but when I was in the store, it grabbed me. Yeah. And um, I really didn't understand the culture and how it had changed. And, you know... It, yeah. It had evolved in another stage and I hadn't made that involvement with it. So when I approached Falcon, um, the first three issues were really hard for me. Um, I was writing TV jokes. I was writing, um, there was something under it that I think said, you can do this. But again, my fear, my anxiety, all the other stuff that was there um, interfering with my clarity. Um, sort of made it a difficult ride. I always look at issue four of Falcon as my actual first issue of comics because one, two, and three were so bumpy. Uh And the great thing that we have, again, going back to social media is Twitter, is when people don't like things, they can tell you personally that they didn't like the thing. (laughs) And they can tell you for days on end. (laughs) I remember this one brother uh, screen captured every line he hated and put it on Twitter. And it was like 40, 50 people agreed with him. I'm like, oh my God, this is the worst feeling in the world. <laughs> I remember I went to the movies one night. I went to see this movie, The Post, Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep. Mm. And uh, my phone was in my hand uh, because as a writer, your phone is always in your hand. Um, and my phone kept buzzing and I kept looking and it was Twitter. And I couldn't enjoy the movie because I was waiting to see what this dude had to say next. <laughs> And he was killing me. Oh, he was killing me. And this, and this had never happened before. I, I was used to just being able to safely go into social media, say hi to my friends, and go about my business. And now I'm actually in a beef and a thing and with somebody I don't know, and I'm taking it personal, and I'm ready to cry. And should I never write again? <laughs> and um, after I calmed down, it took at least a good 36 hours. I went back and I looked at everything that he said Mm. and I had to ask myself, um, is any of it true? And he was right with some of it. Uh, Some of it was just outraged me. Yeah. Uh, But he was funny in the mean. So I didn't mind. If you're funny in me, I can take funny in me. Uh, (laughs) Boondocks was funny in me. Um, So he, uh, within it, it was more or less one of those things where I realized that People look at their characters different today. They have an idea of who that character is in their mind, and they take that very personal. Hmm. You really shouldn't deviate from where that character, you know, wants to go if you're looking to please people. Um, What he, uh, some of what he said as far as the voice and the environment, the thinking, the thought process of what I had done with the character was completely to the left of what it should have been. There's a way I could have told that story better today than I did uh, three or almost four years ago. And I think um, that actually started my career, so to speak. Uh, at first, it was a job. But once I was able to get past that and start to quiet the noise in my own head and develop my voice in comics the way that I have in television, Things got better. And I think Lando was better than Falcon. I think Quincredible was better than Lando. I think Philadelphia is better than all of them. And I think the ones I'm writing now will be better than that. Still a long ways to go, but I had no um, understanding the relationship between words and images. Um, when you're saying too much, um, you know, how to make, how to highlight how to not double speak, like you're saying what the person is actually seeing. Yeah. Um, There's so many different things that I hadn't taken into consideration because I'm just writing words and I'm giving them to a guy and he's coming back and there's a book in my head. And I'm so overwhelmed by that process that I'm not really looking at that process with a critical eye like uh, I would with TV. You could shoot a TV show and you can sit in an editing bay for weeks trying to make it right. Mm -hmm. I was looking at this and I was allowing the process to take 
control of me rather than me taking control of the process. And, you know, it's been a, a challenge, but it's been a, a good challenge in the sense that, um, you know, I, I always look for ways to comic books are something I love again from the heart. I'm always looking to connect closer to that. And um, being able to find my own path has been kind of exciting. I think Philadelphia is the best example of what it is I want to ultimately do. I um, I agree. Philadelphia is is quite amazing. I'm on um, the second issue of it. I'm just like, whoa. Um, I have to, it kind of seems like you kind of have to thank that uh, Twitter troll for the baptizing. He kind of brought you into the comic book world and was like, if this, if this is what you want to do, like, yeah, you <laughs> got to people you're going to well, deal with. <laughs> We're different over here. It kind of seems like. Well, what happened was, um, uh, what happened was, I remember uh, Axel Alonzo, who was a publisher at the time at Marvel. I saw him at a convention and we had never met before, but we had talked on the phone and he said, uh, Rodney Barnes. I was like, yeah, I'm Rodney Barnes. And he said, a man prepare to be hated. <laughs> and I was like, what are you talking about? And he said, prepare to be hated. I said, I haven't even written anything yet. And he said, um, you'll see. <laughs> and as I was sitting in the movie theater and my Twitter thing was going off, I saw, it's yeah. like, I got exactly what he's talking about. And there's no subtlety to when someone decides they're going to get you. They just decide and they get you. Um, but again, the difference between the person who's critiquing a thing and the person who actually does a thing mm -hmm. is you have to be tougher. You have to be able to, um, you have to be able to take it. And, you know, I still, I have my moments where, you know, it still hurts. It still bothers you. You want to please people. You know, it's yeah. like that's part of what this is. You write something in the name of wanting to entertain people. Um, but you have to live within a reality that to some people, being able to get on Twitter and talk about you is entertainment. It's like that's what yeah. they look forward to is the hating things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, again, I will say that 70% of this gentleman's um venom towards me was warranted um the other 30 was just he got an opportunity to be on stage and say what he wanted to <laughs> crack off some jokes yeah he got to whatever <laughs> and, uh, that was his thing um oh, but again he helped me so whether or not that was his intention um i was helped i love it you were able to remove your uh ego and, and look at it objectively. A lot of people can't do that. They just kind of tuck tail or they get their following to destroy somebody. It is not an exact science. Um, you know, I still, um, again, catch me on the wrong day. Uh, old, like old Ike Turner. Um, <laughs> old Rodney. Um, you'll get that guy. It's like uh, always trying to be better, but if enough life things line up in a negative way and I'm not feeling good on that day, um, mm. I could come back, you know, I could, I'm not going to just sit there and take it. You, but, from, you from Maryland, you can crack yeah, something. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> I could sit there the ten, first 10 years of my career was built on the fumes yeah. that got the cafeteria that just made jokes. Um, <laughs> oh my know. gosh. So there you go. Right. So I, I You've got like 20 plus years in the game and I, 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 I want to talk and I want you to talk directly to like an upcoming writer and give them like a piece of advice. Like how can they best prepare themselves for a career in writing and entertainment and what can they do now to prepare for their opportunity? Like when the door eventually opens for them? Well, I think um, there's a duality to it. The first thing is developing yourself as an individual. Mm -hmm. Um, no matter who you are, no matter what famous person you follow, um, to lesser or greater degrees, they have had to hear a lot of rejection. Um, you got to be prepared to hear the word no um, and not have it break your spirit. Um, you have to be prepared to be lied to um, because that's a part of the fabric of Hollywood. And it's not lying in the classic sense of the word lie, but there are people who can be firing you and they fire you so smooth that you think you actually got a promotion. And, you know, little do you know, you've actually been shown the door. Um, 
you just have to be able to um, be emotionally prepared for the world that you're entering. Um, again, it's just not easy. Uh, unless you came up in a world like that, to be thrust into it, for me, it was culture shock. Um, the second part is to be prepared from a, um, and it's the one thing, the good news, of, I guess both of them, but um, the other one, you sort of need it to happen to you first to be able to prepare yourself. For the writing part of it, it's to continuously develop a, um, an action plan of writing. Like, how are you going to write <clears throat> every day? Um, like, do you write four hours every morning? Um, do you write in the evening? Um, how do you come up with a regimen that speaks directly to ultimately what you want to be? It's like um, if someone had told me that I would have homework for the rest of my life, <laughs> I may have decided to become a security guard. Um, it's easier. But every morning when I wake up, I wake up with the knowledge that I have a day's worth of writing ahead of me. And in the midst, I have phone calls. I have life. I have other stuff that's not going to get out of the way in order for me to do it. That frustrates me to no end. And oftentimes I go, oh, my God, Thursday's completely open. And by nine o'clock Thursday, something has happened that's going to take me, my attention away. So being able to prepare yourself emotionally, psychologically, and practically as a writer to learn all that you can to develop your own style of not only how you do the thing that you do, but how you develop your own voice. Back to my shortcoming when I first started this. Um, I hadn't really spoken to, I really hadn't looked within and said, what do you ultimately want to be? Why are you doing this? I wanted to be a writer, period. That's when I first started. I had other things that I sort of um, were near and dear to my heart, but um, I, uh, I hadn't really evolved into doing those things until, like I said, I was forced to. I was forced to face my mortality, which made it easy for me to face my career and my wants. Wow. I love how you talked about you like just faced it and just powered through because so many people, we always procrastinate because we always think tomorrow is, you know, ah, oh, tomorrow, yeah. ah, get no, to it tomorrow. No, you got to learn how to. Um, one thing about being a professional writer is there's always a deadline. And if you don't have the discipline to, discipline yourself. That's not to say it's an exact science. I mean, I have gone, certainly there are enough studios that'll say, hey, what about that project we were doing that you promised would be done by September? <laughs> yes, that's very true. Um, it's not a, um, you know, it's not a foolproof uh, thing, but you have to be cognizant of, you're going to have deadlines. Um, whether you want to write or not, you still have to do it. Mm. That's the difference between the amateur and the professional is the person who is able to get up and do it regardless. And the sooner you can train your mind uh, to discipline itself to having to do something that you don't necessarily want to do. It's like I wake up every morning because I have 600 channels with something to do that I prefer to do more so than writing the work at hand. Yeah. Um, and on Wednesdays, there's a stack of comic books. Those comic books I haven't read. And novels I haven't read, movies I haven't seen. And there's a myriad of things that I could do to distract myself. But that's not going to get me any closer to my goal. And pretty soon, I probably can lack of uh, uh, discipline my way out of my profession. So mm -hmm. that happens to people. It's like there is a thing to where you can, at a certain point, you just realize people aren't answered taking your call anymore and they aren't calling you. You don't want that to happen. So, you know, it's if the better prepared you can come to the table, the better you'll enjoy the meal. Read um, to the audience. I would suggest you read Stephen, Stephen Pressfield's uh, The Art of War. The, Art of, the War of Art. The War of Art. War of Art. I always... <laughs> Art yes. of war, war of Art. Yeah. I do that too. Um, but yeah, the... And also on audiobook, it's pretty, it's pretty good as well. Stephen Pressfield's Wednesdays. Uh, if you go to his website, 
he sends out a that newsletter. A, that newsletter. Yeah. Um, but yeah, War of Art was uh, was excellent. I got it at a Robert McKee seminar like fifteen years ago. But yeah, wow. Uh, first off, I'd like to say uh, congratulations on your HBO Max deal. You know, um, how is the deal like that negotiated for anyone who's plotting to get their own as a writer? And um, what can we expect from this deal? Uh, well, uh, you got to work a long time. And then <laughs> one day when people are tired of paying you for every little thing that you do, they say, all right, we'll give you this. And we'll, uh, that's it. For two years, this is what you're going to get. <laughs> Make a deal for that. Um, you know, there is no uh, there is no direct path. If I had known that, I would have done it 10 years ago. Um, I think for me, the biggest thing is um, what I want out of it. A lot of the independent stuff that I'm talking to you about now that I really can't talk about specifically that I'm trying to do, that's what I'm hoping to deal you know, manifest and it comes from that. I've got three shows at HBO Max and one show at HBO proper. And, um, you know, so HBO for the most part is home for the next year and a half or so. Mm. Um, and I hope to just continue to, uh, to get those shows up and running and hopefully the ones that uh, are in development right now to get those up and running as well. Okay. All right. So your name is attached to like a bunch of different projects and different stages of development. Um, what's the process of juggling and developing so many stories in your head? You know, for those who aren't aware, Rodney is in the, the development process of like a series based on the 80s era of the Lakers, uh, Tiger Woods project, uh, creature feature with uh, Jordan Voigt, um, and a TV adaptation of his uh, comic book series, Philadelphia. That's like four projects right there. Plus, he's probably got like six more that he can't and talk about it. There's a book, uh, Things That Make White People Uncomfortable, that Things I'm that adapting them. for HBO Max. Um, there's an animated series for HBO Max. Um, and there's two others um, I'm working on. Um, <laughs> there is no there is no real, um, you know, I'm looking at my whiteboard with all of the stuff on it. Um there is no process. It's just that um, I work with my assistant, Carlos, and he um, we know that a certain thing is due at a certain time. <laughs> so if we line up everything that needs to be done, there's sort of a game plan based upon deadlines. So last week I wrote the Philadelphia uh, first draft of the Philadelphia pilot. And this week I've got to finish... Um, the second draft of Tiger Woods. Next week, I have a, uh, another pilot that I have to have done. The week after, I have to have the first act of a movie done. In between, it's about four comic books that have to be written. Um, and then we'll be at the end of the year and time to turn over for the next year and see how extensive the notes are on all of those things that I've already written, plus get into the new stuff that's slightly behind. That is Done some. That is some insane work ethic, right there, Mr. Barnes. I got insane bills. I got <laughs> insane wants. Um, insane you know, bills. Yeah. All yeah. of this, all of that insanity requires me to match a level of insanity in order to be able to uh, to meet it. I love it. I love it. Uh, what's a, what's an unpopular opinion you have about writing? That it's fun um, for me. It's like, you know, every time I tell people, well, I mention that I'm a writer to somebody, and they say, oh, if somebody sees a look on my face, what's wrong? It's like, man, I got so much work to do. I just said, blah, blah. well, at least you get to do what you love. And they say that, like, somehow it's like um, you're with the, you, you're in a perfect scenario. Like, I'm in this romantic, idealized, scenario to where I get to go in a room and I hear music in my head and I'm just writing stories. It's like, I like writing when I'm done. When I'm done <laughs> and I see the stack of pages and I have something that I can change, then I feel better. The process of going from zero to completion is arduous for me 
because all of my doubts, all of my fears, it'll never be as good as it is in my head. I know that going into it. I'll only face emotional, psychological abuse within myself uh, as I'm at war with uh, words and images and letters and ideas to come up with this stack of paper. And then once I come up with this stack of paper, that's usually not very good. Um, I sit there and I designate a certain amount of time to trying to make it less bad. And the less bad I can make it over course, like Monday, it's going to be a little less bad. And Tuesday, it's going to be even more less bad. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, until it gets to a place where, all right, it's okay. And then it's up to me to say, all right, how much do you have within you to make it good? How committed to are you to making it good? Um, now that's a different process of being able to really hone in and focus and move all of my life stuff out of the way to really to become one with the document and do that work. And how long this takes is really a matter of um, what's going on in my life, what's going on in my physical body, um, how do I feel mentally, physically, uh, what's going on in the world. You know, we... Is there a presidential election that's taking a week in order to figure out who's the president or is there a pandemic going on? Where I mean, did anybody get any writing done that week? I mean, that no, was we did. We, I certainly didn't. And the people <laughs> I work insane. with didn't. Um, you know, is there a pandemic that if I get it, I have a couple of comorbidity factors that could kill me? Mm. Um, can I push that out of the way? Um, yeah. Other stuff in my life that, um, you know, I have to deal with. The ability to do that, I think, is the key to writing well. Oh. Some people do it better than others. I'm learning to do it better. How can the people get in touch with you? Uh, Twitter is always the bestest. Twitter and Instagram, at the Rodney Barnes. Um, it's the same for both. Um, that's the best way. That's the best way. Uh, I'd like to thank you for your time. And um, what, what is a quote or something you'd like to leave the audience with? Um, pimping ain't easy. Because um, <laughs> uh, uh, I'm working on a project about a pimp right now. Um, very famous pimp. Um, iceberg. Iceberg. Um, I can't think of one at the moment. It's too many. Sir, as soon as we end this and I say leave meeting, I'll come up with the perfect <laughs> one and be scrambling and looking for it. Um, to thine own self be true, I guess, is the one that I will leave you with for this day. Because I think it's the one that is universal, whether it's writing, whether it's life, whether it's whatever role in life that we play. I think um, the more honest, your ability to be honest with yourself about yourself is really, I think, the key to achieving whatever goal we're setting out to achieve. Um, it's certainly been my saving grace anytime the ego or insecurity or fear has put me in a place where um, I'm making poor decisions. Only honesty has actually gotten me out. Only honesty. Huh. Okay. Wow. I loved it. So uh, once again, thank you for your time. This has been the, uh, another draft of the Jordan Baylor draft. Uh, now turn off your phone and go right. <laughs>